everybody. Welcome to the Family Jewels True Crime Podcast. My name is Brian Sobolewski, which you know. I am here with Michael Trillstein. Let me give you a little background on our uh, co-host for this episode. Uh, Michael is what you would call a current up-and-comer on the comedy scene. Uh, I might have spoken about him in past episodes in terms of, um, you know, my respect for him is, uh, you know, he's an up-and-comer and he really just wants to get better. Uh, I watched this kid work the stage, he works his material, he gets up, and his interest is to just be better at all times, where, you know, not that every comedian doesn't want that, it's just that some comedians get very comfortable in their material. So I've been down here four years, and I recently saw somebody get up who was doing comedy when I first got down here, and she did the same set that she did four years ago when I saw her, which is fine, man. It's fine. But A, it didn't necessarily go well. And, you know, I have jokes that I've been telling for 12 years, but I also have a, a, a bunch of new material that I can get up and start testing. So long explanation, but Michael is here to be the co-host. So I'm going to let him do it. Well, I have a longer explanation. Oh, go. Um, <laughs> go, go. Good start. So you mentioned, uh, have I mentioned him in past episodes? You have. I'm a fanboy in addition to being a friend, hopefully. We'll see. Um, we'll see how this goes. We'll see how this goes. But yeah, no, I think I have a unique perspective for the listeners because if you love Brian as much as I do, I think that for your audience, picture yourself in December of, or actually January uh, of this year, January 6th to be exact, which is a funny date to start. Wow, right? Yeah, right. Insurrection. Absolutely. Storm the Capitol. Was that so, a Thursday? Yes. Uh, so that's when I went to comedy class. All right, Absolutely. I, see I don't know if you were at the first one. You might have been at the no, second. No, I wasn't. He asked yeah, me for the second. So you were January 13th, technically. January 6th, you were celebrating. Um, but <laughs> that's why you weren't there. But January right. 13th, um, Brian, so I sign up for this comedy class, so... Um, I, the background on that is I did comedy in 2013 one time for my college and then I did it, a bringer show in 2016 that went well. I did it two times for paid audiences in 2017, the second time bombed and I stopped until January of this year. Right. Sorry. So where did you bomb? Broadway comedy club in New York. Wow. Yeah. I I did the Metropolitan once. Yeah. That's where I met Jimmy Fallon. Oh, sick. Uh, How was he in real life? I have a picture of him. We went down to the green room. Nice and guy. He's standing there, and he, dude, he was so gracious. He's like, "You guys are gonna do amazing. I'm gonna be in the audience. Don't don't worry about a thing." And I was like, "Can I take a picture?" And all the other comedians like, "Oh, because I guess you're not supposed to do that." Right. But right. I'm standing in front of a legend. I'm getting a picture of it. I don't give a shit. Yeah. And he, we took a picture. He put his arm around me, and he was sitting directly across from the stage all night. So I'm like, "Dude, I'm gonna get up and show." You know, my material to Jimmy Fallon, I can't wait. And then the guy before me called Jimmy out the whole set. He's like, Jimmy, you ever take a shit? And, the... and Jimmy's left right before I got up. Damn. Fuck. Damn, that Stupid sucks. Stupid New York. Shut kidding, up. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm from New York. I'm from Long Island specifically. So I moved to Florida in April of 2021. I began taking this comedy class in January of 2022. And I met Brian on the 13th because Casey, who runs the class... Uh, kind of brought you in as kind of like an assistant teacher, right? Yeah, and then he was going to give me the next class. Right, exactly. So Brian kind of comes in as like, you know, the teacher's assistant or whatever the case may be. That's all I really know about him. I hear he has a podcast that, you know, we're talking on now, funny enough. February 17th is the showcase. And I think it's fair to say, I'm not trying to sound cocky or anything, but I was the top student of the class, right? And Casey added me to the bench of stand-up comedians to come do shows. Right. So So, how many of your classes still doing comedy at Doghouse? How many people in the class are still doing comedy at Doghouse? None of them. Okay. So that's that's a compliment. (laughs) That is is Casey's highest compliment to you. I mean, that's what he's doing. He's basically doing the comedy class and he's trying to glean from there. He he wants a bench of, hey, this these are the people I'm putting up on Fridays all the time, which which is again why that stage does none that rival it in South Florida right now. Absolutely. It's an honor. And I, I appreciate the opportunity. Shout out to Casey. And I thought his episode and was Tom. great. And Tom. Although, and Tom. Shout and, out to Tom. And the puppet. I don't know. And the puppet. What's Kyle. his name? Kyle. Kyle. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed actually, but you know, he was, I think he was making like a German joke or something last night and he threw Kyle down and Kyle's like, mouth was against the stage and it was like the perfect oh, timing curb for a curb stomp <laughs> yeah that's exactly what i was thinking but uh he didn't uh he didn't he didn't see it yeah you don't want to curb stomp a muppet yeah but anyway 
um how did we get here so <laughs> so anyway uh so february 17th showcase goes very well and i i really do thank brian for that because him and casey pushed me to do open mics and really practice and i can con- i can happily say after not doing comedy for five years or whatever it is i've done it at least once every single week of this year nice. sometimes three or four times right so and it's been great for my life confidence blah 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 okay cool so let's come back to brian so essentially I think I have a unique perspective because I met you in uh, on January 13th of 2022. So at this point, you have been in Florida for four years, you said, right? You have, to a certain extent, you know, gotten comfortable here. You've made, you're, you're now a, a comedian. You have regular time at Doghouse. You have this podcast and things are, you know, relatively stable. So, and then correct me if I'm wrong. You told me I was allowed to ask hard questions. I believe it was the night of our showcase or the day before or the day after where the tragedy happened. What day was the showcase? February 17th. Dad and Kev died on the 11th. So it was a week before that. Okay. Okay. And here's the thing, guys. None of us had any clue. I had no idea. Brian comes into the show, killing it, uh, just super professional. And to think... And I haven't talked about this with him at all until right about now to think what, what was going on. I just have to ask, like, how did you reconcile that and still just do host the show, be there for the students and all of that. Uh, uh, That's another credit to Casey. Uh, The stage is the only place that in that point when that happens in your reality completely changes colors. You've you got to find places where you feel the same again, where that make you feel normal again. And the stage prior to that happening is the only place I ever felt normal. So when I get up there, that, that, and that's why I encourage everybody to dig in, get into your story, get into the meat of your stuff. Don't be necessarily a storyteller. Be a comedian that tells a story like Kevin Hart does because you can make the worst tragedies funny. And I keep referencing Suicide Pact, the episode that I talk about how me and my mother ended up in a weird suicide pact together. And I said, Case, I would never tell that on stage. And Casey said, you're going to tell that st- on stage and it's going to crush. And I did it one night as Armando and it crushed. Yeah. It's like the audience was like, hey, I want to break the tension. So I'm going to laugh at that completely inappropriate thing you just said. Right. Um, so it, it, the stage at this point in my life, other than the gym, other than when I'm looking at a person's body and figuring out what's wrong with it, those are the only two places that I have 100% confidence where I feel joy where i feel normal where i feel like i'm not the person that i am you know outside of that story because my entire life has been an, an experiment in normalcy normal people fascinate the fuck out of me they yeah. really do i study them because i i'm not it and i want to you know i want what i don't have yeah so good question thank you you're welcome i, I prepared um but that's <laughs> you know i really when i when i got the news eventually I was like, I can't, I literally was like, what you're saying? I thought it was the same night or the day before, but still even a week before. It's just I like, did. Uh, I, I hope I closed the day after. Wow. So it happened on a Friday. I found out Friday morning. So technically my brother died on a Thursday. My dad died that Friday morning. Yeah. And I didn't sleep all Friday night and another comedian canceled on Casey, the headliner. I'm not going to say her name. <laughs> um, and he's like, dude, she canceled. So do you want to get up? And I'm, I was sitting at the pool here. Yeah. You know, I think I was on my third beer trying to drown my pain. Cause you I'm just staring at it. Like anyone at the pool at that time was like, there's something not right. About it. <laughs> yeah. And when he asked, I was like, I was going to say no. Cause I was like, just n- no. Yeah. But, but my brain said, you fucking get up yeah. right now. And that set, when I got off that stage, I didn't do any prison material. It was all about my family. And it cried. I, I think I put it up. I okay. think it's on the episode, not the episode with Casey, but one of them. Okay. Um, and it was one of the best nights when I got off stage. I, Casey was like, dude, was that the best set you've ever had? And I was like, that, that didn't involve prison. Yes. Mm. And the best set I've ever had a doghouse. So it's Jesus. There's not a comedian out there that doesn't find inspiration and creativity through pain. And when they don't, they're dead. They're, you know, they're done. Yeah, and that's been a very helpful thing that I've learned from you. So Brian has sort of served as a, as I jokingly called him, like a comedy Yoda. Same thing with Casey. But, um, you know, seeing you last night, I think I'm receiving and understanding 
comedy on a different level now. I know it's only been six months, but I, there's, I, I feel as if, if I was a welt, a white belt before I'm a, whatever the next belt is right now, because one thing I noticed, for example, last night's show, which is related to everything we're saying is, Oh, the reason this is working really well is I can feel Brian feeling what's happening. Like he, he sees himself in that prison lineup and feeling exactly the way he's describing it. And you mean on stage? Yeah. Oh, thank you. No, I, that's exactly what I noticed. And I said, oh, and that's why whatever worked tonight, because I tried something a little different last night, where I tried to emulate a similar idea where, okay, let me feel this all the way. Even if the jokes aren't perfect, punches aren't perfect, which again, I'm working on. But I felt as if I was more connected to what you did because I was inspired by that raw emotional truth. But it's rehearsed. Of course. It, so, Jesus. But you still feel it every time, don't you? Every time. Yeah. When I, t- when I tell the shank joke, when I tell the, uh, the lineup stuff is yeah. relatively new. That I don't think I've told the lineup stuff more than in the podcast stuff. Mm-hmm. And as Armando on stage, like that hasn't become a bit yet. Mm-hmm. So I, I put it in there. Last week I told the... Uh, the brother, my brother getting on, uh, going out on the block and saying, if anyone's going to do the fucking around here, that one always hits. Last night I changed it around a bit. So it's, it's like taking all of these blocks. I have yeah. this bit. I'm going to put it here. I got that bit. I'm going to put it here yeah. and putting these pieces together. So eventually you'll get on stage and you'll have so many blocks, dude, yeah. that you'll go by feel. You'll, but, but feel in here is based on the energy that they're giving you. Yeah. And you got to win them over first. Yep. That is your fucking job. And which is why I told the Muppet joke last night. Yeah. Which is why I did the crowd work and like to do the crowd work because um, it pulls them in. Yeah. And, and if, the, if you win them over, you can fucking tell them anything from that point. And what was interesting was my biggest pop of the night was when Casey did his set, there was a little thing with a, a, a girl uh, in the crowd where it was a joke that they were going to go on a date. And I went out there and my story was about a horrible date I had. So I said, can I tell you guys about the worst date I ever had? And I saw the girl that Casey was talking to, like nodding, like, oh, I have some stories. And I said, you look like you have some stories. Nice pop. And then I say, maybe you'll go out with Casey later. That was the biggest laugh of pretty much the whole set or it was second. So I say that to say there is so much power in that. um, And and it makes a lot of sense. And again, I didn't say this. I meant to say this to you earlier. One of the things I also learned about you or I. So here's the thing about me. I'm one of those guys that doesn't like to interact with people before I perform. I really don't want to schmooze with the crowd and hello, greet people. But what I noticed was, so I really tried to hide usually. Yeah, I noticed that. You're in the green room, always in the corner. But last night I said, no, fuck that shit. There's a reason Brian's out here looking at everybody. And you've said it before to me. So I was like, and it paid off because I knew what was going on with Casey and her. I knew what was going on with uh, that, that, that girl, all that stuff. And okay, it's worth the payoff in Spanish. Vale la pena, right? It's worth it. It's worth whatever discomfort you have about being around people before performing to get that crowd environment awareness. A callback, a callback will, will usually work. Yeah. So if you hear something, it, so last night I basically sat there and I'm like, oh my God, there's a puppet on stage. I'm calling that shit back. Yeah. Um, half the time I will hear somebody tell a joke that hits and think of a tag for it, which is mm-hmm. all I do. And in the class with Casey, I just sit there and I'm like, okay, all of that stuff is funny. Tag it with this, tag it with this. Cause that's your job. Now you have a, yeah. a, a joke and that joke has a punchline. And then from there, they're already laughing. What can I th- yeah. What can I throw on top? Because they still want to laugh. Yes. And, and that that's where um, having that set yeah. uh, cemented. Yes. Here's boom, boom, boom. Then you can start tagging it. But um, callbacks will usually pay off. Even a callback that didn't work, yeah. you, can, you can make work. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 So, um, so thank you for, by the way, answering that personal question. So... Another thing, another reason the listeners may remember me if they pay close attention is you've mentioned me before because I connected you to oh, somebody. Yeah. Oh, shit. You want to tell them about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been talking about it almost every episode. Tom sure. and I talked about it last week. Um, Diana and I talked about it in terms of what the next step is for them and sure. how I'm going to try to get them information they want. But yeah. Uh, did you send her the book? How did how did Gabrielle get the book? Well, well, well uh, or so just I'll, I'll give the quick context then I connected Brian with the person that uh, has moved the needle for potentially taking this to Netflix wherever it's gonna go right right 
Um, PBS, hopefully. P- yeah. So what was? The, yeah, 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 yeah. Make it a documentary. Uh, what was the? Uh, what was your question? Oh, how did I? How, what did how, I do with yeah, that? Yeah, how did? Oh, so I don't even remember what I did. I think. I, sh- I actually I could look. I could tell you exactly what I did. I might. She read- ended up texting me, and she's like, "Yeah, hey. what did I say exactly? I'll tell you guys. You guys are gonna get the inside scoop." Um, what do you remember when you guys started texting? No, okay. I could look. I could look back at it. Hmm. Okay, here we go. I see. I see it now, guys. Bear with me. We're almost there. We can edit this out. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. I have editing software. Okay. As a matter of fact, I could edit out your entire part today. Okay, perfect. That works. Um, Okay, here we go. All right, I'll tell you. Oh, dude, here it is. So remember your Boca stand-up? Oh, yeah. Stand-up? Yep. Look, I sent her this photo of us. So there's a picture of me and Brian, me pointing at him when I was a little fatter. And then I wrote, (laughs) I want to introduce, I'll I'll read it. I don't think she'd mind. I want to introduce you to Brian, dot, dot, dot. Here's another thing about me, guys. I'm a copywriter, which essentially means I write. I, I'm a professional writer to make money, sales, marketing. So it's just part of me. So I want to introduce you to Brian dot, 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 insane story. His dad groomed him and his brother at, at like eight years old to rob high-end jewelry stores. Maybe I was wrong about that. I'm, a, I'm also no. a marketer, so I'm a hype exaggerator, you know? We were definitely indoctrinated into a lifestyle. Okay. So that wasn't too far of a stretch. Nope. They robbed 22 in total. He got arrested at 26 and served prison time. By the way, guys, pro tip. If you want people to read stuff, uh, make big, make blocks in between. Don't have like big paragraphs of text. So that all of this is like two, two sentences. He wrote a book and began touring schools, talking to kids about it. Then he started a podcast called Family Jewels. He then took a comedy class at the place I did in Del Rey in 2018. Last night, he self-produced an event and it went great. He even had some podcast old lady fans come out, LOL. <laughs> Tragically... <laughs> Tragic. Not, those podcast fans are not going to be very happy with you because they both listen and they yeah hear this yeah episode. yeah. Well, you you mentioned that one might blow out a hip, and I wanted to shout oh. her out. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I that's uh, that was that was you got a good pop on that one. Yeah, that was Pam. Pam is the, the sole supporter of my podcast. Well, we can make that more than one if you just let me help you on Patreon. But yeah, anyway, we'll get there. Um, last night he self-produced an event. Blah blah. Tragically, a month ago, his dad um, and his brother blah blah. blah Anyway, I bring this all up because he's gotten interest from Netflix, but of course the terms were insane. In parentheses, he gets... He has so many crazy stories and he's hilarious at telling them. Figured maybe you'd know someone who would take a call with him. I sent that at 1.42 p.m. on March 27th. And she replied with, I do have him text me. So I actually sent you her number. Okay. You texted her first. And then whatever happened next happened. So she got a hold of the book and then she read it and she texted me. And by the way, how do I know Gabrielle? They might be saying, why do you just know this person? So I was sort of a social outcast in school. And the only place that I felt really comfortable was on stage. I have this weird thing where people assume I'm this social butterfly because I'm, you know, pretty (laughs) out there when I'm on stage or in certain situations in front of crowds. But one-on-one was always a struggle. And... Um, anyway, I did theater and I did, I dropped my theater major in college because of parental pressure and other things. And then I decided in, I don't know, when was it? 2017 or 18, I think it was 17 that, Hey, I should do something for my, this empty hole in my heart that wants to perform something. So I hired this monologue coach for 60 bucks an hour in Manhattan. And she told me, Hey, there's this workshop happening at Michael Howard Studios in Manhattan by a very famous woman named Patsy uh, Rodenberg, who's a Shakespearean teacher. I go there. I'm there for three days, and it was painful. <laughs> it was like, oh, now you got to act like a fox or whatever. You oh, know, acting God, class, there's that. nothing worse than acting classes. I'm going on record and saying, by the way, Michael Howard Studios is the best studio in New York in the world, and I love Gabrielle, and I love her people. But she would back me up that sometimes when you're in an acting class and it's just like, you know, it's tough, especially when you're somebody that just is hungry to perform and you're like, you're not performing. Right, like, you right. know what I mean? That's the best thing about comedy is everybody gets five minutes. doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to blow Harvey Weinstein. You know what I mean? Like, you just get five minutes. You could get ten if you did that. <laughs> I, I, I would consider right? that. Would consider so, that. so it was painful, but I did learn a lot and, and, and I knew that there was something a good energy about the place. So I pay Patsy for a one-on-one because that's what I do. I pay people for one-on-one. And she suggests to me that I meet the owner of the studio 
Gabrielle. The rest is history. Me and Gabrielle become best friends. Awesome. I hire her as an acting coach and as a business coach. And she's like a, you know, a second mom to me. I absolutely love her with my whole heart. She's an amazing, generous human being that has the only acting studio I would ever recommend to anybody after trying out a lot of them. So that's how I knew who Gabrielle was. I know she has ties to Hollywood. And I thought of her when I heard your story. Perfect. All right. You ready for some more questions? I'm ready. Hold on. Let's, uh, all right. So next question. Go. So we talked about Pam and your podcast groupies, right? Yeah. Uh, one thing that I'm going to give, I'm going to, I'm going to reveal the curtain a little bit. So after the February 17th showcase where I had one of my best sets because it was a very warm audience, obviously, right? A lot of my friends and family members. And I did very well, I think. Would you say I did well? Did you record it? I did. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I actually, I used that recording to book the gig where I opened for Giannis Papas, which is a go. big deal. So Absolutely. Anyway, um, it was a good set. And uh, the girl I was dating at the time was there, uh, as well as she brought one of her attractive friends. And we all went out to a nearby bar afterwards. And... <laughs> Brian and I are chatting up my girl and her friend and you know I don't know if anything came out of it but whatever um point is that was one time and then there was a second time where we went to a bar where I was with again uh the the girl I was dating at the time and another girl that again I don't know what happened after that wow wait who was the first one uh her friend Elizabeth nothing you guys got to edit that out that I said her name. <laughs> we don't want people being weird. Oh, yeah, sorry All about right. that. Gonna, Can you get uh, your people to do that? Um, let me just find out what, what the yeah. timestamp was. Why did this die on me? 125. Yeah, I'll get okay, rid of that. Cool. Uh, second was a little bit, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something happened. I know, I, I'm, I'm lying. I actually know exactly what happened, and I'm pretending I didn't. Because <laughs> right. she told All me. But um, right. it's fine. Uh, my point is, I'm the ultimate wingman. You're welcome. Truth. Um, Second, Ultimate. just more generally, you don't have to get in specifics of those two situations. Well, there's one situation. But what I want to know is, how's your dating life? Awful. Why? How? Where? When? Who? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody? Uh, I, I find that hard to believe. Four years in Florida? Nobody? Yeah, nobody. There's been opportunities, but I can't. It's just hard it's hard with my life and my story to present myself to somebody if they're normal if they have a regular family what's the family gonna think about it if we start to get serious it's a shit show dude and it was a shit show prior to dad and kev dying and it's worse now yeah and it's not only that i'm not afraid of that i've never been afraid of that if you're gonna judge me for that but i don't want to be three months into something and have this is what happened to me in boston i fell in love hard and their parents her parents didn't like me and they they started making moves to get me out of the story. And I was like, dude, I'm never going to beat two parents that don't approve of me. So I bailed. That's part of the reason I left Boston entirely. Went out to Colorado, did the same fucking thing again. Fell in love hard. It was a bad situation. I just, I just make bad choices. And, uh, my heart's just not in it, man. Yeah. Like my, you know, there's a lot of me that craves it. I've always had a girlfriend. I've always been in a relationship. I was married once. I, I love, I'm a one person guy. I don't go out. You're and, also, to be fair, you're an attractive guy and you're in good shape, which is why these right. women, let's, uh, I'm not going to reveal anything about that because I already said their name by accident, but uh, let's just say they're, um, you know, they're, they're attractive women and they're younger and they're into you. So I'm just saying you're doing something right. Thank you. Yeah. No. But it's just, it's, it's, it'll come maybe. I don't know. I don't know what the fucking universe has in store for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're playing a lot of, they're having a lot of fun with you. I'm going after, listen, as soon as this becomes a movie and it hits and I'm going after Jennifer Conley. All right. Just don't forget about me, man. Not at all. When I say go to Hollywood, I mean you. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. So, okay. So follow up question on the dating life. Yeah. You know, there are some stereotypes that are just true. And one of those stereotypes is women like bad boys. They just do. Uh-huh. They just do. They just do. You just answered the question, previous question. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Oh, he served in prison. Mm. Now, here's the thing. You're obviously you're not like a fucking Ted Bundy, right? Where you got women coming to court like begging for you. But like you, you, you did something. You served time. Women find that attractive. Dude, I banged a guard in prison. 
No, you did. Did you hear that episode? No, get yes, the fuck out of here. Did. Which you know, episode is that? Season two. Okay, uh, looking me. for love in all the wrong places. Right, I think I'm, it's I'm called. Watch, I'm, I'm, that's that's on my list. Yeah. Okay, but tell me about it or don't. It's fine. Uh, sh- it wasn't a guard, actually. It was somebody that worked in. We had right outside of the mi- minimum security prison yeah. I served in was what we called the cottage, and it was a house. Sure. And inside the house, they broke it up into all offices where they sold all of the things that the prisons made. Yeah. Prisons produce tons of industry stuff. You have no idea how much yeah. each each state makes off of this stuff. Yeah. And one of the secretaries there had an inmate bring me this Hershey's kiss one time. And I was mm-hmm. like, why, why? And I walked into her office one day and we started chatting it up. And next thing we know, we're down in the copy room making out and doing nasty things. And then she broke up with me because they started to catch on and she would have lost her job and I would have got shipped back up upstate. I didn't want to go back up. I was in minimum by that point and they would have just sent me over to Walpole. Mm. So yeah, it, the bad boy thing, a hundred percent. It's totally alive. It's absolutely something I'll bring up in the first couple minutes of talking to somebody about dating because I know it it works. It's also kind of good to like address the elephant in the room, right? Like the fucking, you know, the the, the old saying right. about, well, if you can't hide the family skeleton, you might as well make it dance. That's literally your life. It is. and But it's, it is, has always been my approach to this whole situation where everyone in my family, you know, dad and Kev and even my grandmother's like, you hide that shit. You lie about right. it. You don't tell anybody about it. It's like, no, that doesn't sound right to me. And it doesn't work. It doesn't because when they find it out, now you're a piece of shit liar. Yeah. So nothing. You're better to be be the piece of shit than the piece of shit liar. I would rather be the piece of shit honest person than a piece of shit liar because now you got two strikes. Now they know you're a liar. This isn't the right analogy because he did lie about certain things, but it's the difference between why nobody cared about Charlie Sheen or at least and why people were very upset about Tiger Woods is Tiger Woods was lying. Yeah. Charlie Sheen was like, I'm that guy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and Tiger was like, I'm clean. I because that, that's yeah. his contract shit. He's yeah. doing that for Nike. He's not doing yeah. that for his fans. Fair enough. Yeah. I might do the same thing if I was being paid a hundred million dollars. And then my... you have somebody like Lance Armstrong who wouldn't say sorry until he was on Oprah and yeah. he was bagged with fifteen different tests. Like, the, America loves a sorry person. Like uh, they love the apology. They like to see the mighty fall. Do but they? at the same. T- yeah, but it depends on whether or not they can be humble about it right. and come back and be like, I really am sorry. Tiger's not hurting from it. Tiger's still, golf is begging him to come back. But yeah. how much shit is Charlie Sheen in right now? Yeah. He's nowhere. He's nowhere. So, you know, there's a couple things you can do with it. I felt that Tiger was sincere. I felt he got caught up in something. I mean, you don't well, know. Well, what... here's the thing. And I, I heard, the best analogy I heard was from Tim Grover, who was uh, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant's trainer. He said, what Tim, sh- here's what he argued that Tiger should have done. And I agreed with this. You might disagree. But he said, if I was Tim, I would have, I'm sorry, if I was Tiger, I would have gone on that podium and said, guys, this is between me and my family. This is between me and my wife. And I am very sorry to my wife, my, uh, my mother, my family, but it's between us. So the rest of I really don't care. So you don't, you don't but you don't think that as somebody who has made their fortune in the public eye, that that shit goes. See that I I think well well maybe like well maybe but I, the point is I didn't want the the, the point he was making was maybe it wasn't as aggressive as this but like look I'm sorry to X Y Z but that's all I'm saying you know the right. Kevin Hart style where it's like I'm sorry about this joke I'm not saying sorry again yeah. the problem with that press conference was it was robotic Tiger was robotic he was reading from a script looking at whatever and the pl- and, and essentially playing the, not not playing the victim but you get my point right. people don't like that right. so you're better off actually not apologizing when you're you know and sometimes but it depends if you're sincerely sorry about something i, I don't think there's a problem yeah but i don't know alec baldwin watching him freak out over a photographer you got listen those guys yeah. have to know that that's part of the job it man. is part of the job so some yeah. uh, there are times when i'm like no i get how intrusive they are and i get how crazy they are at it but that's why it, at your station you should have security that can keep those people out absolutely so i don't have a whole lot of sympathy you know I, what i mean I oh poor it. tiger yeah <laughs> right, exactly. dick sucked in it's fucking like, every like, state like, in the union and i'm gonna sit here and be like oh no it's like the kanye kim and pete stuff it's like oh this these are billionaire problems like, yeah, who gives right? a shit you right? know but, okay cool such so, a distraction so you, the point is, you have a lot of women interested in you in your dating life. You're a bad boy, but you don't really take advantage of it. Uh, well, I don't know that there are a lot of people interested. There are one or two that are interested. I'm just. What do you mean you don't know I that? Don't you know. literally just admitted that a lot are. You named two. I don't know who else is, and I. You just said the bad boy thing was real. It is real, but it's. Uh, I'll tell you. Lately, it's funny for me. I think I think people in general can tell when you reek of desperation. 
And when you get past a certain point, man, I've been alone for five years now, other than little interludes. By choice. By choice and by, by choice, but because when I've, when I've gotten into those situations, I immediately like, no, I got to get out. Okay. So I'm like, I want it. And I go into it like I always have. And then there's this point that I hit a wall and I'm like, doesn't matter who it is, how I feel. All right. Now you're making, the, the problem is you're making a different argument now. You just said, I don't know that a lot of people are interested in me. I don't know that there are a lot of people interested in me now. I can tell you that when I got out and not, from All right. then You want me to tell to you why a lot of people are interested in you now and that's complete bullshit? I don't know. God. You're the smart. <laughs> you're smart. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You're right. smart. Yeah. You're hilarious. You're a headliner Thank at you. the comedy club. You're in great shape physically and you have the bad boy persona i mean you would literally check all the boxes where what like what are you rich, missing rich okay well whatever you still now i gotta get rich man that's you well, gotta that's help the me next, get rich you're, you're making a movie Listen, I, you this could, guy's a hollywood star no. funny fitness guy and he's telling me no women want him all right tell me you guys let me know in the yeah. rating review yeah. thing who you who you agree with in this situation oh, we'll get a lot of shit for this <laughs> for what the rating review section well, it's, whatever. It's me. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. All right, I just say that to say, man, there's a lot of women into you. You're choosing not to be with them, and that's cool, man. All right. <laughs> Send your letters, folks. Send your letters. Uh, do I have time for another question, or it's, or it's over? Go. Okay. All right, this one, now, we're, now I'm asking another tough question. Is that All okay? Right. Yeah. That was kind of a fun one. Yeah. Um, so... I noticed, because I'm a fanboy, guys, I brought with me my Family Jewels book, which Brian doesn't like, apparently. He likes the podcast more, but, you know, I have I have notes in here, some things I've written down. I'm a fan. Can you sign my book? Absolutely. So, <laughs> something I noticed, and I'm going to read this, actually. Mm-hmm. Brian has an AA in substance abuse counseling and a BS in psychology. Correct. He also is an A certified personal trainer. He currently makes his living as a PT in downtown Boston. Speaks to schools, to groups, to help the addicted, such as the Reading Coalition Against Substance Abuse. So my question is, I regularly see you drink beer on stage mm-hmm. and joke about how you're drinking five, six beers and uh, other uh, jokes. That's not true. I say that because of the honor system. So, but sure. I'm not five or six beers in one. Yeah, well, 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 point is, I, I see you sort of as a regular drinker, casual drinker, whatever the word is, or whatever other things there may be. So my question is, isn't that bad if you have an AA? No, well, so, the, again, if you listen to the podcast... Because here's the thing, you seem to have control over it, so that's actually why uh, I'm confused. Um, because it, there's a couple of episodes where I talk about addiction and how, as I started to work in the field, I started to move away from the disease model, which is what... Um, I, I think it's an absolute insult to say that I have a disease like cancer because I can stop drinking and my disease goes away. Cancer doesn't. It's like it, the South Park episode. Insult. It's just such a fucking insult yeah. that I started, to, I started to read other stuff. And unfortunately, so much of AA is written in treatment doctrine because the courts will send you there because it doesn't cost any money. Um, it's a religion. Always has been. AA, I'm speaking specifically. So when you sure. talk about what addiction is... I fell more on the behavior side. You're engaging in a behavior that has biological consequences and those consequences will eventually kill you, but all you got to do is change the behavior. Right. Cut it out. And then those bi- bi- biological systems will go back to normal. That's a good point. So so I really started to have a problem with how it was treated. And I'll tell you, so did the insurance companies and the insurance companies were, were paying for $30,000 stays and 30-day clinics. And now you can, I don't think you can get two days that are paid by insurance and treatment. Because they were like, hey, this disease model doesn't work. Nobody's getting better. The relapse rate is 100%. So, so can and as somebody, I don't think that when you become an addict or cross that line, you can never have another drink again. And listen, don't go out and, and rip it up anymore. But that's where discipline comes in. Right. And when you become a victim and when you have a disease, there's no discipline for that. I agree. And, and they're not saying, hey, you know, get your shit together. I agree. So, yeah, I, I, I hope I don't agree. sound like I'm not sympathetic to the addict's plight, but Jesus, if you're sitting there, my ex-wife was perfect with that. She's like, dude, when you come in and you overdosed on heroin, that nurse, you ain't getting shit. You won't get an aspirin from that nurse. But if you came in and you fucked up and honestly were hurt for some reason, your nurse is your best friend. And he, there's so many people in the field that are like, dude, just stop doing fucked up shit. <laughs> get some fucking mental health and you'll be okay. That. What, do you got? what else you got? I mean, I think I, I want to riff on that. But for it's, a a, it's a great question because, you know, I do put that in the book. I do I do talk about um, substance abuse. But for me, it's staying away from cocaine. 
It's staying away from the shit that I know will make me crazy. And even in that realm, it, you know, there have been times that I've done cocaine a couple times in the past since I've, uh, yeah. since I was sober for 16 years. And I t- honestly, I don't understand what the fuck I liked about it. Really? I, di- I don't. It's just such a, dude, give me an Adderall, man. I'll fucking party all night and it's yeah. great. They took everything away from cocaine that sucked and put it into Adderall. So bravo, you guys. Uh, whoever made that, they should get an Academy Award by pharmaceutical <laughs> companies if they give them out. That being said, I love stimulants. I love being fucked up. It's always better than being normal, and it's what I got to watch. And and when I notice myself, recently I noticed myself going a little bit further into drinking a little bit more than I like to to kill the pain. And I know that's sure. a nasty slope, but I also know my psychology. My brain will eventually say, cut the shit, bro. And there's a couple things going on in my life right now that aren't exactly going amazing. So... I'm waiting for, I don't know, I'm just waiting for something and then boom, you'll watch Discipline Bride come out and sometimes he's not that fun. Well, <laughs> but that's where I get shredded. I'll, uh, you know, I won't drink. I'll go to sleep at eight o'clock. I'll three square meals a day. I'll be on a, yeah. I get much more regimented. So what, what, you, what other riffs you got on that? No, I just agree with you. Um, yeah. There's a South Park episode making fun of Alcohol Anonymous. Yep. And like I love it. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Uh, Homer, there's a Simpson episode that makes yeah. fun of Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, it's it's yeah. hilarious because it's a 12-step. I always tell people, you're only 12 steps away. But those 12 steps came from the Oxford group that was six steps that came right out of the Bible. Right out of the Oxford version of the Bible. Yeah. So it's a religion. And stop. So stop. Just call it a religion and let's separate it from our legal system because it doesn't belong there. And, you know, let's find a different way to treat these people. You heard it here first, folks. If you're an AA, get out of it. <laughs> Stop it right away. This is three right here. All right. Try to pay attention. What the fuck? So, uh, as I was saying, I agree with you on that. And I also just want uh, to wrap things up, say I, appreci- I really do appreciate our friendship and relationship and you helping me with comedy. And I really if anything else, just want to help you in any way I can, whether it's through certain connections or social media or whatever the case may be, because more people, as you say, uh, would be entertained and enjoy and learn from your story. And you try to gas down the kind of human you are and how cool you are, but I I don't gas it down because you're awesome and more people need to know about it. And I want to help you get there. And thanks for letting me join this call today. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for being on. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. You guys have probably seen a show like this before. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, your comedian uh, that's going to close us out tonight uh, is a friend. Um, he is a criminal. Um, just so you know, uh, so check your check your belongings. Um, but he has a uh, he has a podcast. It's called the Family Jewels uh, uh, True Crime Podcast. Uh, Tom is on the most recent episode, I believe. Uh, I'm on the episode before that. It's probably better. Um, <laughs> a lot of fun. Um, but uh, you know, hold on to your pocketbooks, ladies and gentlemen. Brian Solisky, everybody. <laughs> Backstage. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little gay right now. Uh, that's all right because uh, you all watched a puppet get murdered on this stage and you did nothing. So that's that's the gig. Where did she go? Oh fuck. All right, let's just wait. Did you guys do legs today? I'm not talking to you. I'm not fucking talking to you. Did you guys did you guys do legs today in the gym? So you're not stretching your couch right now? Then get your fucking feet off my stage. What's up? Put them down. Okay guys. No, I'm not I'm not I'm not that territorial. Let's share. Oh! Oh! Holy mom, I'm gonna have to make a shank out of this microphone right now. Guys, I'm so happy to be here. Um I love Doghouse. Give it up for everybody that you saw tonight. Amazing. Just amazing, amazing stuff happens here at Doghouse. So please continue to come. We love the local support we're getting. COVID, like, 
Never happened in Florida. So, so here we are. Um, I am an ex-con. Any ex-cons here? Oh, fuck, this is gonna be a long night for you guys. <laughs> I have a lot to teach you. A lot of stuff going on. Uh, but before that, um, I'm 52 years old. Anyone else over there, over 50? Anyone? Uh, all right, so dude, we're gonna get you home soon. We're gonna get you home soon, don't, don't you worry about it. But guys, I just wanna show you what happened to me after 50. I can no longer sit down and get up without making a noise. And the noises are different every time. I'm gonna show you, cause like, oh, that's like, yeah, we're down. Watch up. Oh, why the fuck are we up? Those are the two things that happen to me when I get up and down. But um, <laughs> I'm 52, which means I grew up in the 80s, man, and nothing good happened in the 1980s, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing. N certainly not dental health. I am the worst. I have the worst oral health in the world. I didn't say oral skills. Yeah, psychology degree right there. Just laugh at that, right? I got soup. I, I have two psych degrees. I'm gonna tell you right now. You're not gonna figure out why you're so fucked up. No, no, no. There's no class that you go into and like this is why you are fucked up. But you go to the dentist, they'll tell you exactly why you're fucked up. I grew up in the '80s where my mom drove me to some guy's basement. He had a chair. I don't even know if he was a dentist. Here's why I don't like the dentist. I learned very quickly, I do not like other people in my mouth. I just don't like it, I don't like it. And, and later in life, I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, really nice part of town, and I went to a really expensive dentist, and he was gay, and I don't have any problem with that. But when he looked at my x-rays, he was like, you have a beautiful mouth. Guys, that's the dental equivalent of, you got a real pretty mouth. No, I didn't go to the dentist like 10 years after that, so I come down to Florida. No, seriously. I grew up in the generation that believed that you should brush between wars. Like, that that's where I come from. So I go to the dentist in Florida, man. They go in, they, they stick this little tiny pen in my mouth, they move it around a little bit, and then they put my fucking mouth on a 52-inch widescreen HDMI TV. He's like, yeah, this isn't good. <laughs> Guys, dentists are the CSI of all your bad decisions. Because he was like, do you see right here? Do you see that Skittle you ate in 1983? <laughs> yeah, that's five grand right there. Uh, you see down here? Will you rub that cocaine on your gums? Yeah, that's another five grand. So I owe this guy like 25 grand. I ain't going back. No, I ain't going back. Take your fucking feet off the stage. No, all right, so let's get into the criminal stuff. I like to steal. I dig it. It's awesome. My dad was a salesman his whole life. He came to me and he said, Brian, I think you could be a salesman. I think you could eventually sell a great product and make 40% profit if you sell it. I'm like, why don't I just steal it and make 100%? It's fucking awesome math, guys. But my dad actually <laughs> trained my brother and I to be criminals because I knew my Miranda rights before I knew any nursery rhymes. Seriously, I remember it like this. Jack and Jill went up the hill both without representation. <laughs> no, that's how I remember it. When I went to school and they said, uh, stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, I'm like, I ain't standing for shit until my lawyer gets here. No, I didn't want it. I ain't pledging nothing. Um, when I say my dad trained my brother and I to be criminals, uh, you wouldn't even really notice what the first thing that my brother and I stole from my dad. It was a house. Thank you. How do you steal a house? Well, it wasn't a full house. It was like two-thirds of a house. Let me explain. My dad couldn't afford another house after he divorced my mom. This was the 80s. Didn't happen. So instead, he bought a piece of land, and he poured the foundation, and he capped it. Me and my brother lived in it with him on weekends. And at night, we would drive around to construction sites and steal the rest of what we needed to build the house. Yeah. My family is the reason for same-day delivery and install. Seriously, because if you didn't install that shit the same day you got it, we installed that shit in our house. That was awesome. <laughs> awesome. Hey, we weren't mean about it, but let you come look at it. Look at how good this came up. Anyway, um, eventually my father, brother, and I robbed jewelry stores all over New England for five years. Woo! Oh, never. I never get. 
Anyone else rubber jewelers do it with their family? No, it's fucking awesome. It's awesome. You should do it. You should do it right away. You should go home tonight and be like, hey guys, let's fucking knock over a Jared. Don't do Jared, because I'll tell you, this is way off script, but if you go into a Jared, you got to notice there's a front door, and then there's a foyer, and then there's another door, and you will not be able to open one door without opening the second door. Do you know why? Because of us. Because the jeweler could essentially lock you in while you're leaving with all of his shit. You pass through that first door, he locks it, he locks that second door, all of it's bulletproof glass, you're fucked. Do you see? Okay, so here's why you should rob a jeweler store with your family. <laughs> Not because of the high level of security, but you will know your importance to your family by the job that you get. My dad was a certified genius, man. He was, woo, like border collie, fucking crazy. He studied everything. He went to the Wentworth School of Technology when he was a kid. He was a certified genius. He studied all the maps. Oh, we were in and out of a store in 90 seconds or less. My brother was 250 pounds, juiced out of his mind. He was the muscle. They were fine with that part of the play. Then they turned to me and they're like, oh shit, Brian's still here. They looked me over a little bit, and my brother's like, oh. He's got eyes. <laughs> He's the lookout. Guys, the lookout is the best job to get if you're going to do this kind of scenario with anybody. Because essentially, you're so far away from the shit that if it hit the fan, you could just leave. <laughs> like, and you can sit there and watch the whole thing unfold. Like, if a cop ever came into a scenario where my father and brother was robbing a store, he'd be like, oh shit. Oh shit! Oh shit! Alright, no, I'm gonna wait a little while before I call him. <laughs> but um, we all did prison time. My dad did 12 years, my brother did uh, 10, and I did 3. Because I was a lookout. <laughs> Seriously, I've been in five lineups. Five. Anyone here been in a lineup? Stop it. Stop it. Of course you're right. Um, just don't ever be in a lineup when you're guilty as fuck. Just don't do it. Because every single, when, before I went into the lineup, my lawyer calls me, he's like, hey, Brian, you're gonna be in the lineup. I was like, oh, do I need to wear a swimsuit? <laughs> but no, he said, you're gonna be in the lineup and, and they're just trying to figure out what other of the robberies that you did. And I was like, dude, I, I, I did them all. <laughs> So I show up for the lineup, and before that, I, I kind of, my brain went back, because your brain just plays tricks on you, and I went back to the Seinfeld episode where Kramer was in a lineup. Guess what number he was? He was number five. I went back to a, an old movie called Running Skin with Gregory Hines and um, Billy Crystal, and uh, there was somebody in a lineup there, and the guilty person, he was number five. So what was I trying my hardest to do before I walked into this lineup? I ain't gonna be number five, no way. No way, I ain't doing it. So I, they did it in a courtroom. So it wasn't behind glass, it was in a courtroom and we're all gonna stand in the jury box. And I'm standing there and they, they bring in five state police officers in full uniform and a homeless guy. Those were my other participants in the lineup. <laughs> I'm walking down the line and they're handing out numbers. Guess what number I get? Five. Yeah, fucked, right? What would you do? Don't answer. <laughs> I am completely freaked out. This is the point where I swear to God, my colon seized. I'm standing, I'm standing there, I'm holding number five, and I'm like, what do I do? Do I look at the guy as he walks by? Do I look at the other people? Do I like, hey, this guy looks guilty as fuck. Hey, over here, do this guy. <laughs> so I say to myself, all right, what, what do I do? What is everybody else doing? And they were all state cops and a homeless guy that was hammered. I didn't follow his lead, because he was like holding number one, like, <laughs> he was all fucked up. But I was like, okay, they're all cops. I just stood there. As if I was at attention. Guy comes in, stops between me and number five and number six, and then he walks out. Okay, colon unseized. For two seconds, because they're like, hey, we're gonna bring him in again. I'm like, no! But that kind of gave me away a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So instead, I just, well, there he came in again and he left. And then my lawyer says, okay, you need to go downstairs to the cafeteria and wait for me to come down and tell you what happened. And he comes down and he hands me a piece of paper that said the guy could not pick out the person that robbed him. Although he did think that number six was very familiar. And my lawyer, God bless his heart, he was worth the 25 fucking grand because he went up to that cop and said, hey guy, I think you're in trouble. <laughs> so I'm gonna leave you guys with this. I wanna leave you guys with a couple of things that I learned being in prison. First thing that I learned in prison is it turns out I'm not a top. <laughs> Yeah, that's fucked up, right? I know. When you learn that, you're bummed out. I went my whole life watching porn, like, I'm that guy. No, it turns out, I'm that guy. <laughs> oh, I was so freaked out about going to prison, I was like, I'm gonna work out twice a day. Started eating vegetables and shit. Then I was like, am I just getting sexier? I feel like I'm just getting hotter. <laughs> and the third thing that I learned from prison, guys, is that if you get stabbed, it's your fault. Seriously, if you get stabbed in prison, it's your fault. Here's why. This is what I gotta do to stab you. I have to procure a piece of plastic and a lighter. Those things aren't easy to fucking find in prison, guys. I can't go by the container store in a 7-Eleven on my way to my cell. Once I procure those things, I have to take that lighter and melt that uh, plastic into a cylinder. I have to take that cylinder after I pee on the floor so that I can use the acid in my pee to sharpen one end of that knife down into a sharp point. I have to make a handle for that chain because when I stab you, I don't want to impale my own hand. I have to take that chink, handle first, and shove it up my ass so I don't, I don't impale my own colon when I walk out to the yard to stab you. I have to find a place in the yard to pull it out of my ass and go up to you and stab you. If I'm gonna go through all that trouble, guys, you fucked up. <laughs> Guys, come here.